One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to Following On Ashes Inquest on TalkSport 2 as John Norman and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison look back at day one of the first Ashes test between England and Australia at Edgbaston, with Australia closing on 14 without loss. Don't forget, we'll be back on TalkSport from 7pm on Saturday evening, reacting to day two of the first test. But please note, this show is a repeat, so please don't try call or text into the show. But for now, you're listening to Following On, Ashes Inquest, here on TalkSport 2. On DAB, online, on the app and on your smart speaker. Following On, Ashes Inquest, on TalkSport 2. What a performance. What a performance, all right. Uh, Welcome to the show. I'm John Norman. Alongside me, as ever, Steve Harmison. And we're going to be reflecting on an incredible day that took place here at Edgbaston, where the crowd have only just stopped singing. They were in full voice nearly all day, with the excitement building early. And after Ben Stokes won the toss and decided to bat, the tempo was set from the very first ball. Pat Cummings, the Australian skipper, in for the first ball of the Ashes, and it is thrashed through the covers for four. England started off at a gallop. Australia went defensive very, very early, but it paid off. Three wickets in the morning session. England needed to rebuild in the afternoon, but they were rocked. Two wickets for a single run. Stokes following Brooks back to the dressing room in a hurry. Nerves had been uh, had replaced excitement at Edgbaston, but two tykes, Bairstow and Root combined to put the Aussies on the back foot once again. The evening session capped off by another memorable moment. Joe Root tucks the ball away into the leg side, and uh, you can hear the shouts from the Holly stand and everybody on their feet here as they celebrate Joe Root reaching 100. But with wickets falling at the other end, England looked like they'd fall short of 400. And in the end, they did fall short by seven runs. But the reason they did was down to a hugely surprising declaration. I cannot believe it. I got a message from Adrian Durham about an hour ago asking if this was declaration batting. I said, no way. There's no chance they're going to declare. Well, guess what? England have declared. The gamble in the short term, well, it didn't pay off. Australia comfortably seeing off the final four overs of what has been a ridiculous opening day. We're going to look back at all of it here on following on Ash's Inquest. 
So, Steve Harmison, were you entertained today? Because that's what it's all about, you know. It's not about winning. It's not about losing. It's about entertaining the masses. Yeah, it didn't disappoint, did it, John? It was... It's, it's been built hugely for the last six, eight weeks or what feels as though an eternity. Uh, and it didn't disappoint. It really didn't. The first ball, again... Didn't that didn't that didn't disappoint either? Crash the noise off Zach Crawley's bat, and you just you just looked at Zach, and you he just he's a big man anyway, six foot five, six foot six, and he he, he turned into sort of Matty Hayden like that big chest out, yeah, oh, that big grey Nichols bat, and all of a sudden it set him off on a good run, um, put pressure straight away on Pat Cummins, so I didn't think had the greatest day as not only you know with the ball but as as captain, um, and it just shows you what the pressure of Ashes cricket does come because in many times during that day, I'm thinking England are in trouble here. England are in a good place here. Uh-oh, England are in trouble here. And the one person who never, ever buckles under pressure. You know, we talk, how many times have we said nice things about Jimmy Anderson, but we're starting to do the same about Joe Root. You're getting bored saying good things about Joseph Root because what an innings that was under the extreme pressure while carnage was going around him and even himself he hit three, two sixes from reverse sweeps but I thought he he was magnificent and I, I tipped him at the, at the top of the the, um, the series to be not only play the series leading run scorer because of his calmness because of the, the what else could go around him um, and his ability to, to just absorb pressure like he did he was brilliant he was brilliant and that leaves the question why did we come off there was another 50 runs there. Robinson was batting nicely. And uh, Joe Root had started to uh, up the tempo a little bit. It, it, well, we know that England have left runs out there because they declared. But uh, this looks a good track. And I'm not sure a score of 393 is anything more than par. Yeah, it's in the game score. 393 is in the game score. Three, anything above 350 on a first innings you're in the game. 450, you shouldn't really lose the game. But 350 and above, you're still in the game. You just reduce the fourth innings total um, by what the, the rest of the contest is. I, I'm listening to Kevin Peterson, who's been commenting. He wasn't happy with the declaration. Um, I'm not saying I'm not. Why not? I, he just said, <laughs> believe, believe it or not, he said he, we should have gone for 400. I'm like, and then he went 450. He corrected himself straight away and said 450. Because I was like, when he got to 400 and he, that, that quizzed look that I've seen off one of my mates quite a bit in the dressing room of Kevin, I was like, Kevin, we're only seven short. So, no, but 450. And I understood what Kevin was saying. You know, backed him into the ground. You know, get as much runs you possibly can first innings we were always taught 450 above first innings runs it's crucial it's critical but not with Ben Stokes and I understand I understand why Ben declared you, there's a potential of 12 balls if Stuart Broad could bowl at David Warner tonight possibly more I think I would have gambled them extra 20 runs because all of a sudden you know we could only have batted for 10 more minutes and I, and I can understand Ben in this. If we had batted for another 10 more minutes, 15 more minutes, and lost two wickets, then the closer player would have come there and then, and Australia wouldn't have been able to come out. So there's swings and roundabouts for every bit of that decision. I think you've just got to back the captain, like we have done on selection and like we have done in the last, what, 14 test matches. Um, he tends to make the right call at the right time. So hopefully this will wait and see moment, but hopefully this will work for England. Well, did Ben Stokes make the right decision? 
uh, you can text us, 81089, or call us, 03717 or get in uh, contact uh, via Twitter, at Fulham John, or at Harmy611. Uh, Josh Hazelwood uh, played. I think that was a bit of a surprise. Mitchell Stark didn't. That was less of a surprise, but uh, essentially it paid off today. Hazelwood, uh, despite uh, not playing a lot of test cricket over the last couple of years, weighed in with a couple of, of big wickets, and he has been speaking following uh, day one here at Edgbaston. You've got to try and look at probably the end score. So, you know, eight for just under 400 or basically all out for, for under 400. So you, you take that on that wicket for sure, whether it takes... 80 overs or 160, so it's the same score. Um, we've got to start to sort of look at things a little bit differently, I guess, and and not so much look at you know strike rates and and um, and economies and things like that. So it's just about wickets and the score. And um, if we can keep it as simple as that, I think that'll go a long way to, to wrapping our heads around the sort of new the new ashes. Yep, Josh Hazelwood, uh, who picked up figures of two for 61 today. Uh, a little look at the bowling card, actually. Despite the fact that Australia are batting now, they would have taken that when they lost the toss this morning. Uh, Scott Boland, his 14 overs went for 86, picked up one wicket. Patrick Cummins, he bowled 14 overs, went for 59. Um, and Nathan Lyon picked up four wickets, but his 29 overs went for 149. But it's one of those days, Harmy, where you look at the scorecard, it's very difficult to to see the story because England at one, at, at one stage were 92 for one, 175 for three, 297 for five on top of the game. But then Australia, through either good bowling or over-attacking stroke play, were allowed back into the match. But then you also have to factor in Australia. Harry Brook was dropped by Travis Head at deep backward point. Mm. Uh, Bairstow was dropped by Carey when he was on 68. Even Moen Ali was dropped when he was on one. So... I'm not sure where we. I'm, I find it very difficult to know how to feel at the at the end of a day like this. I know, and it's been that's why it's been such a crazy day. And when, whenever I've I've spoke, I've done spoke to Times Radio and spoke to the boys in the in the studio, um, on drive, and it's like, did today has today um, lived up to the expectations of what you thought it was going to be? And I'm going, and more, and more, <laughs> because we've got no idea. Because we've said, haven't we? You know, with the, it's most eagerly waited, been built up like you'd not believe. And you've always said, well, let's see what happens after the first session. You know, the old cliche. We'll know where the series is at the end of day one. You know, end of both team batting because of how England's batter goes against their bowlers. But I'm still none the wiser. And I still think, and I actually think more England now. I'm more positive with England now. Because you've just mentioned all the bowling figures. I thought Nathan Lyon bowled really well, to be fair. He went for 149, but four wickets, first day of a test series. On a fresh pitch, he held them together quite nicely, I thought, and he got four wickets. There's only two maidens. In 78 overs, there was only two maidens. Scott Boland came on the scene. He got six for seven and at the MCG. And all the, the talk before the series was Scott Boland. He's metronomical. He's going to be blind in length and hit the top of off stump. He's bowled 14 overs, no maidens, one for 86. So I think with Steve Smith saying they've not done it against our bowling attack, I actually think there's some good signs there from England against their bowling attack that will stand them in good stead for where the series is going. I was sitting next to um, I was sitting next to your old mate, Michael Vaughan, for uh, much of the day. Mm. Uh, he was, uh, I'm not sure if it was picked up on commentary, he was under the impression that Cameron Green might, have, uh, might be 
having a little bit of an injury himself. Yeah, I, I, well, we we seen some pictures before the game started of Mitch Marsh marking yeah. his run up. Now yeah. that would make sense if Green was having a little bit of a struggle. So uh, whether there's there's an injury between the two of them or, or whatever, whether Mitch Marsh was pre- in precaution that it was a final sort of last call, go out to the toss and. Right, well, we'll just go with Cameron Green if Pat Cummins was in that position. Um, but there was obviously something wrong because Cameron Green only bowled six overs and that's why Nathan Lyon had to bowl the best part of 30 overs. Were you surprised by how quickly Australia went on the defensive? I mean, they had a deep point out in the second over. They had a deep um, point for the first ball. Well, they, was it even the first ball? Yeah, first ball. Yeah, Crawley crashed it, it through the extra cover. Over. Yeah, first ball. Uh, they had uh, three fielders on the boundary in the third over. Nathan Lyon was brought on to bowl in the 10th over and they had four men out. But I suppose you could say that it kind of worked. A little bit, but you've got to pick and choose. You right. That's, that's why I said right at the top. I don't think Pat Cummins has had one of his greatest days as a captain because you have to pick and choose when you attack, when you defend. Joe Root never really got into, never really got out of third gear throughout this until the last throws of his innings what the last sort of 40 minutes but he didn't go first gear second gear he he, he went into he was straight into third gear and never moved you know he he got tw- he must have got 20 30 singles in his first 50 runs because deep point was there and there was there was no danger for joe root and joe root I'm just listening you know joe root there's no ego with joe root right there's ego with kevin peterson there was an ego, you know, a big ego with Kevin Peterson, two of the best players I, I have ever played with. Kevin Peterson would be looking to smash the ball if even if there's boundary riders. No ego with Joe Root. You just go, one, thank you very much, see you later. One, thank you very much, see you later. And he did that. And there was I seen a stat on social media that I think it was there was sixty one singles in the first thirty overs of this test match. And it was like the ninth you know, ninth innings in history where you know, no more singles were in that. And that was given to Joe Root because they didn't want England to see to hit boundaries. And that for me was where Australia missed you know, missed the boat a little bit. They got too defensive too early with the wrong person to try and put Joe you've got to try and get Joe Root out or he'll do what he did to you today. And if they continue to have them sort of fields, Joe Root might get more than just one hundred in this test series. He might even get one in the second innings if they keep ploughing that field. OK, well, look, we've still got plenty to talk about. Uh, we're going to hear from the England camp as well shortly. Uh, Australian broadcaster and part of the TalkSport 2 cricket team, Jarrah Kimber, will, will be with us, uh, as well as uh, senior cricket writer at uh, The Cricketer, George DeBell. So uh, plenty to uh, talk about and hear from. Uh, we're also going to get a flavour from the Barmy Army as well. Super Sam Ellard from The Breakfast Show has been out and about. So you're listening to Following On, Ashes Inquest. On DAB, online, on the app and on your smart speaker. Following on, Ash's Inquest on TalkSport 2. What a performance. Yeah, once Joe got his 100 and I think they were, you know, played a few shots, so I sort of sensed it was coming. Um, that's sort of the way they're playing the cricket at the moment. So, um, yeah, first day was um, probably as I expected, pretty much. Um, the wicket was... Not a great deal in it. Um, very, very slow. Um, yeah, not much sideways movement or swing or anything. So, um, yeah, 390 and we're, we're none for, so pretty even, I'd say. 
you're listening to Following On Ashes Inquest with myself, John Norman, at Edgbaston. Uh, Steve Harmison back in the studio uh, in London. And uh, Jared Kimber's joined us uh, here on the gantry over uh, looking the pitch. I mean, Jared, we've seen a lot of cricket and uh, we've seen some strange days. But I would say this is one of, if not the strangest, opening day of an Ashes series in the last, I don't know, 30 years or so. You're a cricket historian. We're, where, where does this one stand in the strangeness stakes? Yeah, I mean, it has to be pretty high. Do you know who Stan Witherington is? No, but I'm looking forward to finding out. In 1936, he w- uh, went out to face first ball at the Gabba and tried to, like, hook paddle it over his shoulder and hit it straight up in the air and was out. <laughs> but it was. But I looked, the rest of the day was pretty normal, John, after <laughs> that. They didn't, uh, I'm not 100% sure that two fielding positions weren't invented today. Um, Steve uh, Harmison's back in the studios. Um uh, Harmy, I mean, with that Zach Crawley um, ball f- four, I mean, Pat Cummins has spoke about this yesterday, saying that he might actually throw the ball to somebody else <laughs> uh, because there's so much pressure on that first delivery. We're always going to remember that Zach Crawley four. But, Jared, were you, were you surprised a bit by how quickly Australia seemed to go on the defensive? Yes, I thought they would go defensive. I thought that would be part of their game plan. Uh, but I thought they'd throw more different kinds of things at England. Maybe, you know, a new batter would come out and they'd have four slips at times and, you know, they'd be trying other things, whereas they basically only went defensive. And even when the, you know, Joe Root was just picking up singles every ball, Harmy, I mean, mm. it just they didn't change anything. They just kept giving him singles. That's what I was going to say, and I've, I've said that before the break, that it was just so easy. Joe got to third gear comfortably and he sat there all day. He just chugged along, not a problem at all, right, till the very end. And... The talk about the pressure of Ashes, Jared, and the bowler as captain. Do are we seeing the first signs of, of of Pat Cummins being captain? Even though it's just for one day, but the pressure that goes with Ashes cricket—that sometimes in the middle you can have a brain fade and think, well, and, and lose your way from a plan's point of view. See, I thought of it from a different uh, perspective, and you've been a bowling captain. There are, I always think there are two kinds of bowling captains. There are bowling captains who have seven slips in at all times, mm. and there are bowling captains who go very defensive very early on. And there are times, uh, there was, at one stage, Joe Root hit a six, and Pat Cummins just went straight out and plugged that, um, on, that hole in the boundary. And I just thought, oh, I've seen that in club cricket a thousand times. <laughs> you, know, you get hit a boundary, oh, straight away we have to put someone on, on to cover there. So I didn't think it was the pressure as much. I mean, remember, he's just gone to, the, you know, uh, he, he's done two captaincies of the uh, of, uh, India series with incredible scrutiny on him at all times and lost one of them at home. Um, so I didn't think it was the pressure. I just thought that he just defaulted to defensive modes all the way through the day. And and I think it, it it's going to sound weird because I don't think Australia would be that disappointed on this pitch to end up with the score that they're chasing. But at the same time, I think they probably allowed England another 50 or 60 runs just by the mm. way that they went about it. There was lots of talk about Scott Boland coming into this um, test match. You've written extensively about him uh, and also produced some videos on your YouTube channel. How did you feel he went today? I thought he bowled really well early on. Uh, I thought he bowled, uh, he moved the ball a little bit and uh, did okay. I thought once the pitch got flat, we saw why Scott Boland probably hasn't played test cricket early in his career. Um, he, he's got all the skills, but he probably doesn't have that one um, one talent that sort of can blow through on a flat pitch. And when it, when the pitch started to flatten up a little bit, I didn't think he had much. But I thought his early spells were good. He, he, you know, he, he probed. And, you know, to get extra bounce off this wicket shows uh, what a talent he does have. But 
it's not going to it's not going to go down as one of the best days of test cricket for Scott Boland but that's only because every other day people have just handed him wickets yeah and I'd, it's probably not a great day for Travis Head either and I would say somebody else two others that didn't have a great day was the the officials in the game because I thought the umpire and, and the decisions making was was really poor for the first day of an, of an Asher series and the pressure might have got to them but you look at look at it Jared and you've seen a lot of cricket what could Australia have done better even though I know you, you think you think Australia would be happy in their position at this minute mm. in time but they had England a couple of times we are really under pressure and England got out of trouble relatively easy yeah, I don't know if you could pick it up on the on the TV, Harmy, but the one thing I thought they made a mistake with, I think we know that Bairstow and Brooks and all these other guys are going to go as hard as possible, mm-hmm. right? But we know that in any situation, if you can say to Joe Root, you can score a single off every ball, he's basically going to try and score a single off every ball. And they, they gave him singles early on. Marnus Labuschagne and Steve Smith kept going to Pat Cummins and saying, can we fill this gap? Can mm-hmm. we fill this gap? And he wouldn't do it. Later on, when he's, bowling to, uh, when he's batting with Ollie Robinson, they've got all the fielders out on the boundary, and Joe Root's taking a single off the first ball, not even bothered by it. And then he made his 100 with fielders out on the boundary. They still didn't bring anyone up. That, for me, was the biggest mistake that Australia made today, was that at no stage, that they, they went out of their way to come up with a plan that would disrupt the England batters. But they actually came up, that, that plan doesn't work for Joe Root, and they, that was the one that I thought they got wrong. And if you look at it, he's the one who basically allowed them to almost make 400, right? What about the declaration then? <laughs> where, where, what would you have done? Would you have stayed out there? I 420 don't... all out, and then, you know... It's time to bowl. Yeah, I just don't think, and you know, I'll defer to Harmy on this, but I don't think this is a new ball wicket. Like, I don't think this is a wicket, you know, you're going to just absolutely blast through anyone, right? And so if that's the case, I'm not sure how they got a bonus by declaring early. If it was a, if it was a new ball wicket and we thought, oh, it's going to zip around a little bit here, four overs here and then, you know, ten overs with the, se- with the, with the slightly older ball tomorrow, that's a really good uh, thing, but... I'm not sure we saw anything there. I would have said that the ball was at its best to bat, or the best to bowl with was probably from the 15 to 30 over mark, right? <laughs> and so I just think that was a mistake. Yeah, and I uh, think... Shall we hear from... So, uh, sorry, sorry hold sorry, on one I, second. Let's, yeah. let's hear from Johnny Bairstow. He's just been speaking just a few moments ago about that declaration. I'm sure there's many decisions that Ben has made that's probably taken commentators and <laughs> some people by surprise. Um, so it was no surprise to us. Um, and... Having played the game for as long as we have and you guys been covering it for as long as you guys have, um, you'll be well aware that a 20-minute slot for any opening pair is uh, something that's not very nice uh, and can be a bit niggly. So, look, it was a, a decision that uh, Ben and Brendan had, had made, obviously in conjunction with the bowlers, but um, it's a shot to nothing, isn't it? You can walk off and uh, there might be an unbelievable ball in there, there might be a, a loose shot or... Or whatever, but we come back tomorrow uh, with a ball that's four overs old, um, a fresh ball and attack, and uh, a team that are really looking forward to the challenge. Yeah, you're right, Jaron. I think it's it's not exactly Mount Monganui when we're you know, the lights are on and good declaration, and it's fantastic for that that new ball ball new ball bowler. And I think that tell tell the story with Jimmy Anderson not taking the new ball with it being Broad and, and Robinson and. I think it is 15, 16 overs into the into the game when it the lacquer comes off and it looked as though it started nipping about a bit. But the question I would chuck to you, Jared, about Australia's batting, do you think Australia would have seen anything in the way England played and changed their plans for how they sort of get themselves back into this contest? 
I think they just want to bat big, right? I think they would have done it if they batted first. I don't think there's anything in this wicket that would make them change the way they're going to go about it. The only thing I think they're probably going to think about differently now is we saw probably halfway through the second session, uh, catches on the leg side, you know, for the fast bowlers. We saw Joe Root almost chip one to mid on at one stage. Uh, so they might be a little bit more hesitant as the ball gets older to drive, uh, you know, without worrying or anything. But I, I don't think they'll just bat. They'll try and get 600, won't they, here, Army? I don't think mm. they're going to try and, you know, score at six runs and over or put any weird pressure on. I, we know that Warner wants to be more aggressive because he doesn't want to be bowled too. I wonder if he looks at this pitch a little bit now and goes, actually, I'm just going to bat normally. I don't need to try anything weird here. Do you think there's a concern about Alex Carey? Uh, of the two teams, and you line them up alongside each other, I'd say it's, I know it's a bit, it's a bit, the water is muddied a little bit with Bester coming in. But I'd say that really, that is really the only point where you think, yeah, I'd say I'll go with England nine times out of ten with that selection over Carey. And we've seen there's um we talk about millimetres deciding top flight sport. Well, the millimetre that is basically between um, two yards to the right of Alex Carey and two yards to the left of, of uh, David Warner at first slip seems to be if England try and score all their runs in that, <laughs> that millimetre, they're going to score 600 because neither of those two fielders uh, seem to want to go for the ball there. Today, we didn't see that. But what we did see was Zach Crawley edging behind and nobody hearing it, including Alex Carey. And we saw Alex Carey drop Johnny Bairstow at full full stretch. Do you think there's just a, a little bit of concern about the wicketkeeper batsman for Australia? I mean, he came up to the stumps to, to Scott Boland in the first session, which tells you he must have some confidence because it's not a normal thing to do for a wicketkeeper on day one of a test match, uh, for sure. So, uh, no, I understand what you're saying. Look, his batting is... It's not, he's not Bairstow, and no one's expecting him to be Bairstow, but he's handy. The, the court behind was... Uh, remarkably odd uh, moment there. Um, I don't think Carey is the problem. I think after Carey is the problem. They don't have any tail enders who can make it. Pat Cummins hasn't made runs in Test cricket in a very long time, and they've just taken Stark out, who wasn't particularly making a lot of runs. But I can tell you, Boland is a lot worse, and Hazelwood's a lot worse. This is probably the worst tail end batting lineup Australia have had. Uh, I, I don't know. It, maybe Harmy can remember another. I can't remember one. Even, you know, you have to go back almost before Warn to think of You've it. You've got to go uh, back before Warn. Yeah, because Warn would have batted at eight. Rifle, you know, all those guys could bat. Um, it's, even Brett you know, Lee. Mitch Johnson, Brett Lee. This is, this is not... If you can get four or five wickets here and you've got Carey in, you can put a lot more pressure on this team than you would normally have. Brilliant stuff. Uh, Jared. thank you. You'll be back uh, on the show. We'll be hearing from you a little bit later as well. Uh, but for now, we're, uh, we're going to go to a break. You can get involved. Text us on 81089. Call 03717 Was Ben Stokes right to declare? What did you make of the action today? We saw uh, five dismissals from England set. England batters uh, really giving their wicket away. But... They scored nearly 400 on day one, and we all loved it when uh, Harmy's England side did that at this very ground in 2005. Uh, maybe we're going to be set for something like we saw back uh, 18 years ago now. Anyway, uh, you're listening to Following Ash's uh, Inquest with myself, John Norman, and the big man himself, Steve Harmison. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A pitch-perfect delivery of superior cricket conversation. This is following on Ashes Inquest on TalkSport 2. We have had a few tweets in regarding the declaration, the declaration, as it'll always be known, possibly. Uh, Bradders0121 uh, says, would have just let Joe bat the day and got beyond 450 plus. I must admit, kind of agree with that. 450, I know we've seen England lose against Australia when they scored in excess of 450, but we don't need to talk about that tonight, do we, Harmy? Uh, would have started with Jimmy over the wicket at two instead. Uh it's uh, it's certainly going to be a decision that uh, people are going to be keeping an eye on and reflecting on. And if England do go on to lose this match in a, in a, a, a pipsqueak fashion, <laughs> it might be one that uh, people use to essentially criticise Ben Stokes for the first time in 12 months. Possibly. Um, I, I don't... I think it should be like that. He's made a decision to try and win the game and that is what he's done for, and for, for 12 months. And he said... You know, he he said, leading the build up, I'm going to do everything I possibly can in what I have a decision I think to win the game, and I think he's thinking if I get Warner out tonight, that's the thing. It's it, the 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 message he's sending. I get Warner out. Australia 14 for one. Warner's under pressure. Possibly that's it for David Warner, but he's also saying, well, I've declared because I think I'm running the game now, and that for me. It's just putting it back into Australia, the ball back in Australia's court to say, well, I've declared because I think I've got enough on this surface to, to control the game. Whether it's a bluff, good poker player, whatever. But at this minute in time, he goes to bed tonight thinking, right, I've declared I'm in charge of this game. And over the course of the last 12 months, who would you know, who would criticise him for that? Because he's most decisions he's got, he's got it spot on. Yep, yep, true, true. It's uh, certainly keeping us all entertained, and that is kind of the point of all this. Um, we're going to be reflecting more on uh, what has been an incredible day's play here at Edgbaston. When isn't it, uh, Edgbaston? Uh, but let's hear now from the legendary England captain, Mike Brearley. He's been in conversation with Harmy after the release of his memoirs, Turning Over the Pebbles, A Life in Cricket and the Mind. Uh, the full interview is going to be released in the coming weeks on the following on podcast feed. But just for a little flavour, uh, here Brearley talks about Ben Stokes' captaincy. I mean, everyone has fear of failure. And if you're playing for England in a public way and where your skill is being observed and criticised from all corners, mm. 
um, you're, you know, failure's not easy. And, mm-hmm. and, and in cricket, it's at large. As a batsman, you have to leave the field. And yeah. a bowler, you can be run ragged and it can go on for a very long time. So um, he's reduced that. In the first place, he, he never shows criticism of players on the field, which I admire because mm-hmm. I sometimes, I'm afraid, did. Not, mm-hmm. not the good thing. And um, though it was also, I think, part of what Bob Willis was saying, it was a passion. Ben gives them a chance. Yeah. He says, well, all right, we might lose. They lost by one run in New Zealand mm. and they gave them a chance and they lost. Mm. Yeah, and that's something... I've spoke to Ben about the, the batting side of it. Yes. And yeah. he he basically said to me he needed to instill a leadership to get his leadership across. Yes, that's what I mean, And which yeah. was no fear of failure. Yes, yeah. And yeah. if he was the one that was the one that was failing, yeah. but he was still portraying to his team... Yeah. We yeah. go harder, we go again, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I think it was a little bit of a, not a bluff, but it was, yes. it was something to say to his team. Yeah. You know Look. what? This is what I want us to do, and yeah. even and if I fail, I'm going to fail as well. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I think he got a little bit of that from yeah. someone like Owen Morgan. Yes. And how important yes. do you think Owen Morgan's been yes. to this current regime of what he's brought through? But also, I think he's still in the year of Ben and, and Brendan. I think he's remarkable captain too and mm. I think he did a terrific job he instilled lack of or less fear lack of fear mm. I know what I was going to say he was talking about winning people around by yeah. his example I think that's been particularly true even more with them with the batters but with um, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad yes. that now they're ha- happy to risk a few fours early on in the, in the, in the chance of getting an extra wicket or two mm. Whereas I thought they were always just a little bit cautious about that. You know, they would, mm. they'd like to keep control. They'd like to go at two runs and over, not more, you know? Mm. And now they're prepared, well, maybe it's better to have them two for 50 off 12 overs than one for 14 off 12 mm. overs. I don't know, something mm. like that. That was Mike Brearley. Uh, he's 81. Can you believe that, Army? Unbelievable. He's, uh, he is an incredible person. Uh, how did you find talking to him earlier today? I was so nervous. I can imagine <laughs> I, it was the same as the England cricket team this morning going out on the field and they're sitting and cross a man who told us great stories about Bob Willis and, and, and Sir Ian Botham and heading the 81. It's a fascinating, it was fascinating to listen to. You could you could hear because I was hanging on every word. I made that stupid noise that I just I was wanting just to get more and more out of him because he is such a an iconic figure in English cricket. Um, and one who sat there and, and gave us half an hour of absolute pure gold. Lovely man. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I look forward to hearing that full interview, which will be available via the following on podcast feed at some point between the first and second test matches. Uh, but, uh, well, from uh, from Mike Brearley to Sam Ellard, there's a sentence that has <laughs> never been uttered in the history of, uh, well, in history. Um, he's been here with me today. Uh, he was part of the breakfast show this morning and he's been out and about. He was in with the Barmy Army. He was basically making a nuisance of himself. He was at the press conferences as well. And, um, well, it was shortly after actually Ben Stokes was out, that uh, big booming cover drive he attempted, which uh, went to Alex Carey. Uh, and he headed out to speak to some of the Barmy Army. He caught up with Adam Canning, uh, who is an integral part of the Barmy Army. We know him well shortly before the close of play. And they began by discussing the atmosphere here in Edgbaston. 
I've never really seen a buzz like it and obviously the series could be defined by the first few days or definitely the first test but what's quite special I think with this England team is if we lose this test match we'll go to Lords still very confident that we can win 4-1 I don't think the lads will get down Stokesy's leadership the way they seem to manage the culture that environment is absolutely fascinating and it's just a joy to joy to be uh, lucky enough to be here watching it just out of interest with the year England have had how successful it's been and the brand of cricket they're playing have you at the Barmy Army notice an increase in people wanting to become members, people wanting to come to games. Do you think the work they've done on the pitch has brought more people into cricket? Without doubt. We've never seen um, demand for tickets like it. We sold out our Ashes allocations, which are our biggest allocations ever. We've got a thousand members here today. You know, 2019 we had 300. The tickets went like that. The demand for our tours to West Indies in December and the, the World Cup in India in October coming up is nothing like we've ever seen before. The membership numbers are through the roof. Honestly, it's, it's an amazing time to be involved in cricket, to be in Barmy Army. And uh, it's a wave that we've got, we've got to ride, really, because, you know, in sport, it's pretty uh, cyclical. So anything can happen. Things can go wrong at any time. So you've just got to enjoy it whilst you can. Brilliant stuff. Adam Canning from the Barmy Army with Sam Ellard. Sam will be back tomorrow. The Barmy Army will be back tomorrow. Um, we'll all be back tomorrow. What a day we've had here um, at Edgbaston. We've still got uh, more to come on the show. George DeBell from the Cricketer is going to be joining us very, very shortly. You're listening to uh, Following on Ash's Inquest with myself, John Norman, Steve Harmison, and this is TalkSport 2. So, George DeBell, we were in New Zealand. Stokes gambled in Wellington. Didn't pay off. Is he gambled again today? Will it pay off? Or does it not matter? Because we've all been entertained. Well, that's what he'd say, isn't it? Um, it's the quickest, earliest declaration, I think, in Ash's history. Uh, as it was, I think, in New Zealand, in Mount Morganui, when, when they won. Look, it's an early declaration. He would argue, wouldn't he, that it's what the crowd wanted. And you could not dispute that it was a really good last 20 minutes. It was really good fun last 20 minutes. Personally, what I want to see from the summer is England with the Ashes. And very much I want to avoid David Warner celebrating at the Oval with a replica Ashes urn. That would be a bad summer. Uh, and I'm not sure that England are winning. Sorry. Yeah, George, I was just about to ask you that. You know, there's been a huge clamour for the build-up and eagerly awaited and all that. Let's come. Now you've had day one out of the way. Are you more confident, less confident? Do you think yeah, the, the, the hype is was just... Oh, I think the hype was just, yeah, because it was a really good fun day, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, England stuck to their guns. I mean, absolutely. Yes, I thought they would, to be fair. And I thought, actually, Australia was smart. I thought their tactics were low-ego, uh, smart, very un-Australian in a way. Uh, you know, you, you normally expect Australia to fight fire with fire, and they very much fought fire with fire prevention and uh, <laughs> safety videos and, and uh, a damp flannel yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, that's very un them and it kind of worked I'm, uh, you know that looks to me a pretty flat wicket and I'm, I, I think that's just about maybe the lower end of par but who knows you know it, it's been gloriously entertaining because so much of it's unexpected and um, they've earned the right to do these things from the year they've had and who knows what will happen tomorrow but it looks to me that uh, Australia will fancy themselves to bat on and go past England and then potentially make it a bit difficult. And that's the downside of batting this fast, that you have an awful lot of cricket left in the game. So Australia will try now and bat for two days. Yes, that's exactly what they're going to try and do. Jared Kimball was with us uh, a few moments ago. He was saying, actually, this is the longest tail he's seen at an Australian side for quite some time. 
Um, I wouldn't say that Usman Khawaja looked nervous tonight, but certainly his lack of footwork um, could end up proving to be his, his undoing. Are they slightly over-reliant on the likes of Steve Smith and, and Labashane oh, and wait, Travis Head, do you wait, think? Over-reliant on a middle order that are ranked number one, two, three in the world. It's not awfully weak, is it? No, that's not weak. Uh, well, that bit isn't weak. Well, well, that's quite a big bit. The middle order of three, four and five yeah. are as you know statistically as good as anybody in the world. So are they reliant on them? Well, sure they are, but that's their job and they expect them to do well. So, uh, yeah, if England could get them early, but it does look flat. Um, I thought Robinson bowled well this evening. And, um, you know, the ball is new tomorrow. I don't think anyone could predict with any degree of any certainty at all what's going to happen in the next few days. That's what is so entertaining about this England side. And would it have been better if they had batted for a day and a half and ended up with the same score? It wouldn't, would it? So everyone who's gone home, having had a fantastic day, and England are definitely right in this game. Uh, and I, I wouldn't want to make too many other predictions, really. <laughs> and somebody, has, somebody who has had a fantastic day is Joe Root. That's his 30th 100. Three short of Sir Alistair Cook, seven ahead of, obviously, third place in, in Kevin Peterson. But when you look at it, George, you, know, you write about the, you know, cricket a lot. Where does Joe Root rank at this minute in time? And where do you think he'll end up in the all-time leading not run scorers but where he leans like batsmen in world not just world cricket but uh, not just English cricket but world cricket as well oh he's, he's right up there on on wickets like this um look if he's got a weakness and he I'm not sure he has really but if, if there's any weakness at all it is the uh, extra bounce outside off stump where his incredible strength at playing the ball behind square on the offside can become a, a little bit dangerous so he's still not scored a century in Australia, for example. That is a, a, a mark on his record, a, a against him on his record. But he's indisputably a great player. He's 30 test centuries. And he's got trunk loads of memories still to come. So he's going to break all sorts of records and, um, and deserves them. And uh, uh, certainly a great of English cricket. I don't know. I don't know that we need to compare and contrast. Is he better than Kevin Peterson? I don't know. Um, is he better than Graham Gooch? I don't know. But when you're talking about people of that category, it doesn't really matter because mm. they're all greats, aren't they? And uh, I thought he was magnificent today. I mean, it's the sort of wicket that he would like to whisk away for a weekend in Paris, I suspect. It is absolutely Joe Root territory. And they didn't have an answer for him. And he, he's now got involved in the series. I think, is it his first Ashes century for uh, since 2015, maybe? Um, so that is a good start for the rest of the summer as well in that he'll have taken confidence and he, he got the tempo I thought absolutely perfectly England are very grateful for him today I know you said uh, it'd be foolish to make predictions yeah. I will make one prediction and it's that uh, when Moeen Ali comes on to bowl for the first time tomorrow mm. every single person in this ground would just put their drink down and everyone would just inch forward because something will happen he was going to bowl the fifth over he, he had if warmed not for up. That wide. If it hadn't been for that wide. And when, when the wipers bowled, Moe kicked the turf in disgust because <laughs> he was so anxious to get involved. And that, by the way, if you wanted liquid Moen innings, you had it there, didn't you? It was wonderful, it was gorgeous, and it was infuriatingly brief. <laughs> but, but that's Moen, and he ain't changing now. <laughs> no, he's not changing. And somebody else who had a comeback um, as such was, was Johnny Bairstow. How do you think Johnny went? Because there were two... You know, two stories of a huge note in, in the week when the selection was. One Johnny Bairstow and then Mo and Ali. 
You mentioned Mo and Ali, but how do you think Johnny went? Well, he obviously went really, really well. I thought he was nervous early on, and I thought uh, he was a bit scratchy early on, as he's entitled to be, because he hasn't had much cricket. But he was starting to look absolutely dauntingly good, wasn't he? Mm. Uh, and I, I, I thought um, that partnership was very, very important. I mean, look, if you get 390, 400, you've got a foothold at least in the game. And without his partnership with Joe Root, that wasn't going to happen. I, I really love the the depth of England's middle order. You know, when you've got him coming in at seven, that must be pretty frightening for a, for a, um, a, a bowling attack. And um, you know, I wouldn't fault some of England's wickets either. I thought uh, Zach Crawley got a very, very good ball. I thought Brooke was a bit unlucky. You know, these things, it was slightly freakish dismissal, so I wouldn't be too hard on him. You know, Ben, ben Stokes, someone need, someone who, who, you know, he trusts and is known for a long time, needs to say, Joe, um, Ben, remember, you're a batter. You're a really good batter. Um, and he doesn't need to, to, to play how he played. But, yeah, uh, so I thought England were very, very grateful for Johnny and Joe today. And, it, and it's kept them uh, in the game. But I do think we're on the sort of wicket where 450 is a sort of a bare minimum. And I'm not sure if you only get four or five overs. I don't know. Was it a good declaration? It was entertaining, definitely. Was it also a bit hubristic? Was it maybe? Yeah, I think it probably was. It could be both. Brilliant stuff. Uh, George uh, will be writing for the cricketer throughout this uh, test match throughout the summer. And we'll be back uh, with us here on uh, Ashes Inquest. Uh, uh, We've run out of time, Harmy. Who would have thought we've had too much to talk about uh, after uh, an absolutely incredible day? But we will be back tomorrow on Talk Sport between 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock. Following on Ashes uh, Inquest, looking back at day two. We've only had one day of uh, what could turn out to be a quite wonderful Ashes summer. Harmi, thanks for your time today. Big thanks to Sam Elard, Jarrah Kimber, and also George DeBell and uh, Scott Taylor back at uh, base. Uh, but for now, thanks for listening to Ashes Inquest here on TalkSport 2. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 